as long as there's something that you have that you love that brings you joy and is beneficial to you then do it it's more than just the actual hobby itself too you know it's like it's a way to meet people it's a way to reduce feelings of isolation form community and you know you, you don't have to have a reason for doing anything other than the fact that you like it and it makes you happy this is tbi talking brain injury with brain injury alliance colorado sharing stories from tbi survivors and their supporters from all across the state my name's phil lindeman i'm a mentor with the act since 2019 and four-time recipient of brain injuries i don't even remember plus a whole bunch that i kind of sort of mostly do remember today i'm talking to zach hudson he's one of the BAC program managers he's relatively new to his position and we actually talk on the one-year anniversary of when he joined BAC. but his history and his ties to support and support systems run deep he's been doing this sort of work for a long time starting on the east coast before coming to colorado we talk about his background and his hobbies those things that help us find joy. Because like Zach says, finding joy is one of the best things you can do, especially when recovering. From gardening and cycling to working on bikes or crocheting or maybe even making questionable crafts, just like every craft I've ever made. And then we talk about the tougher stuff, like when you know it's gonna be right to get back the activity that might've left you with an injured brain. Please remember our guests are here to share stories of their recovery and what's worked for them. Contact your doctor for medical advice and treatment that is best for you. I'm Phil, one of the mentors with BIAC, Brain Injury Alliance Colorado, and today I'm talking with, well, one of our peer mentorship managers, I'm talking to Zach Hudson. Zach, thanks for joining us. Hey, Phil, thanks for having me. It's really good to be here. Yeah, great to have you on the podcast and looking forward to hearing about, well, the other side of BIAC, you know, the um, behind the scenes stuff that you all do. So I guess real quick, Tell me, what is it you do with BIAC? So I am the program manager for the Peer Mentorship Program. Uh, it's a statewide program open to uh, all survivors of brain injury where a mentor works with a peer to you know, provide support as someone who's already living with a brain injury, knows what that's like, share their tips and tricks from their own journey and help their peer live their best life possible after an injury. And uh, besides peer mentorship, I also work with the statewide support groups, uh, providing support to uh, the support group leaders and helping survivors get connected to support groups in their area. You've been doing it, what, you're almost on your one-year anniversary, re recording here in early June. When did you start with BIAC? Today is my one-year anniversary, actually. Happy anniversary! Yeah. <laughs> it's good to have you here. <laughs> this year has flown by, um, and I mean that in the best way possible. Um, it's been a great year. I've gotten to meet and know some uh, really incredible people, both in BIAC and uh, a lot of really awesome and inspiring survivors as well. Well, great. Yeah. Looking forward to, um, you know, having you around for a while to come. What is it that you got you involved in BIAC? You know, how'd you find your way to BIAC? Because you're not from Colorado either originally. Nope. Nope. I'm from New York originally. Um, upstate New York, born and raised. Uh, grew up on a, in a really, really, really small town population of about 2,000 people. And for a while there, I, I was living down in this town called Beacon, uh, working in another town called Brewster at this uh, this school for uh, children with special needs. And um, we would do like animal and nature assisted therapy as part of the curriculum. And so I was involved in that. Um, so that's kind of how I started working in um, nonprofit sector and working with um, with people with disabilities. And I really liked it. Um, moved out to Colorado a few years ago because growing up, I always knew that I wanted to move out west somewhere, you know, like I wanted to be closer to the mountains and more open spaces. And so that's kind of how I found my way out here. All right. N nature assisted therapy. What's that look like? It can look like a lot of different things. Um, so as an example of some things that I would do is, you know, we had uh, a farm on, on the campus. So there were all kinds of 
cool little critters like uh, sheep and goats and horses. And so the kids would hang out with the animals. They take care of them. They feed them. They groom them. Uh, we take them for walks in the woods. Um, you know, besides that, we'd go on hikes. Uh, there was fishing, um, climbing tower, zip line, stuff like that. Basically, just getting the kids out of the classroom for a little bit, really help them reset, and then uh, get back to their studies after. Dude, put me on the class list. That sounds like <laughs> the kind of school I want to go to. Um, well, because I know, you know, like here we are, early summer. People are thinking about, you know, getting out, hiking, biking, doing all that stuff. But, um, oh, I was just walking around the neighborhood this weekend and noticed everybody's planting the flowers. And, mm-hmm. and I know lots of people find that therapeutic for sure. Gardening, one of those big therapies. Oh, big time. Yeah. Yeah. We had a big garden program as well. Uh, there was an organic vegetable farm and then, yeah, there's flowers planted, trees planted, window boxes, you name it. And the kids help with everything, of course. Um, definitely, definitely subscribe to the belief that, you know, that sort of stuff is therapeutic. I have a little community garden myself, which uh, is one thing I really look forward to every day is going and taking care of my plants. Yeah, right on. What are you growing? I'm currently, I got a lot of leafy greens, uh, some spinach, some chard, some kale, and then I'm doing a few types of peppers, all hot peppers and uh, some eggplants and a couple types of winter squash. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't have any squashes, but definitely the uh, leafy greens because, um, you know, not much grows. I'm up in Breckenridge, you know, up above 9,000 mm, feet. Right. And it's tough to get things to grow. Um, but kale will grow like weeds. I mean, you, you cannot kill kale up here. It's crazy. It's it's one of those things that um, makes you feel good about yourself because you, you watch it sprout and you're like, yeah, I'm good at this. Nothing else sprouts. You know, your, your, your basil never grows. Your, uh, your, your, you might get three green beans and you might get two peppers, but at least that kale grows. And there's a lot that you can do with kale. So people think that, you know, when they think of kale, they think of just a boring little salad. But yeah, there's so many awesome ways to eat kale. And yeah. it's great for you. Uh, absolutely. And actually, you know, lettuce grows great up here too. Fun little fact about Keystone that I learned not too long ago. Keystone, um, before the golf course was created, um, it's called Keystone Ranch. Well, they didn't have the animals on that ranch. It was a lettuce farm. Really? Because lettuce, for whatever reason, just took off there at, you know, nearly 9,000 feet. Um, it just, it grows incredibly well. So yeah, if you're up in the mountains or up above, you know, any high altitude, definitely try those leafy greens. Um, cause like I said, it makes you feel good about yourself. Like you actually know what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. I never knew that. I wonder why that is. I'm going to have to look that up. Yeah. You know, I've got no idea either. It's one of those things like every time I find, you know, one of these side hobbies, gardening, or even like mountain bikes and stuff. Um, you know, there's so much to learn about all of it. You could fall so deep, deep into the rabbit hole. Um, and I honestly don't know why it grows so well up here other than something about the climate, the dirt, and, um, the fact that those are just hardy vegetables. And what's so cool about, um, you know, gardening, but also like you mentioned, like biking and, you know, other hobbies like that is like, you never truly master it. You know, you're always learning and you're always like finding new skills and new ways to get better at it. And I think that's what, why I'm so attracted to it and, you know, other things like that, that, you know, you're just that continuous growth is nice. Yeah, I agree. Well, and as somebody who's worked with, um, you know, folks across the nation um, with these kind of adaptive sort of learning curriculums, how important is it to have a hobby? You know, something on the side that you can do, you know, and it's something that, you know, maybe you don't feel like you're learning from it, but you're, you're learning as you do it. I think it's super important. You know, it's, it's, it's so, so important to have something that just like, and, and there's no wrong way to have a hobby in my opinion. Like as long as there's something that you have that you love, that brings you joy, 
and is beneficial to you, then do it. You know what I mean? You know, wh whether that's, you know, movies or writing or walking, you know, anything. And it, it's more than just the actual hobby itself, too. You know, it's like it's a way to meet people. It's a way to reduce feelings of isolation, form community. And like you said, with um, with the gardening, it's just something that makes you feel good. You know, you, you don't have to have a reason for doing anything other than the fact that you like it and it makes you happy. Yeah, it goes a long way, I think. And that's one thing that I found um, just uh, wild about BIAC is that there are so many avenues to get involved, uh, so many things to do. You know, talking to some of my my other uh, mentors, um, you know, folks like myself who have peers, um, man, there's meetups for everything, all sorts of stuff. Uh, have you had a chance to stop by any meetups or you got any favorites? Um, I've gone to a few meetups uh, just based on like, the hobbies that I do outside of BIAC, I've gone to a few meetups at BIAC that we've done in the peer mentorship program. You know, we've had a few park social days. Um, turnout for that was really great. People love just getting outside and, um, you know, meeting some people that they've only ever seen on Zoom over the last like two or three years uh, for the first time and, you know, playing games and socializing and just having that like in-person social interaction is, is so important. Um, so we, we've done stuff like that. And then, um, you know, outside of BIAC, I've gone to like some garden meetups. I'm really into biking. So I've gone to some bike meetups, ski meetups. And, um, you know, you know, in, in the Denver metro area specifically, there really is something I feel like for just about any little niche hobby that you could have. Um, one thing that I really like to do is just reading all the flyers on the light posts around the city because I live in Capitol. <laughs> and uh -huh. I'm always amazed. It's like how many different like opportunities there are to go out and meet people. I think it's great. Yeah, seriously, a little bit of everything for anybody, whatever it is that you like to do, you can find it. You, you want to learn how to make a shoe. Yeah, we got one of those for you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Crochet meetups, something like that. Um, I'll leave those to somebody else. Crafting is not my, uh, not my call. That's for oh, sure. nor mine. So yeah. yeah, I have the utmost respect for people that, you know, have that sort of like artistic ability. But again, you know, even even I feel like even if you're not good at something, it doesn't have to mean that you shouldn't do it. If you make a really crappy shoe, but uh, you like it, great. And you can always get better at it. It's like I remember, exactly. well, I, I had a boss way back when um, uh, she wanted to get good at mountain biking. And so, you know, uh, up here in the mountains, we've got like a town series. So, you know, every other week there's a mountain bike race and it's usually on local trails. And um, there's always some guys out there just crushing it. Like, like, you know, former pros or they cycled in like college or whatever. And so, you know, that they're just going to be really good. Well, she, she went out, she started in the, the lowest division, got like third place out of four cyclists. And then she kept like going back and going back and going back. And within two years, she was up there neck and neck with some of these pro level riders. And I asked her, I was like, Melanie, what did you do? You know, how, what was it that changed in you? She's like, I don't know. I just started riding my bike more and I loved riding my bike. And then after a while she started meeting these other people and riding with them and they pushed her. And she, I, th I think the thing that helped her the most was that she never let herself get intimidated by the fact that, Oh, I started at the very bottom and now I got to climb up. It was more about like, well, sure. I, I'm going to start at the bottom and I'm going to keep doing it for as long as I love it. And she loved it just enough that it took her to, you know, she, she could be riding for, for prize money if she wanted to, it was, it was wild. Yeah, that's incredible. And I, I think that that's a great example of how, you know, it's never too late to try something new. 
And I think people get intimidated when they start new things later on in life. I mean, I don't hold your bosses, but like, you know, thinking about like some of my friends who are in their like early thirties, they're, you know, sometimes say things like, oh, I don't know if I could start that in this point in my life, but you know, why not? You know, why not try something new? And I'm always so inspired by people who, you know, try new things later in life. And, you know, even if it doesn't work out, at least they tried it and they got a cool learning experience from it. So kudos to her. Yeah. Yeah. She was early thirties. Yeah. So she was, um, you know, not exactly like, um, fresh out of college and ready for the next, uh, thing. She, you know, she had full-time job, had a family, all that stuff, but yeah, she just made it happen. Um, and part of it, I think, um, she was also just looking forward to, well, the, the, the new, uh, um, the new tribe that she could find, you know, the group of people that she could find. She, she just enjoyed, uh, the other cyclists that she met and, you know, creating some of those memories from going out to, you know, 24 hour bike rides and doing, you know, these weird things that she never thought that she would have ever done. Um, and then suddenly, you know, those doors kind of open themselves all about, you know, like memory making. So she's got, you know, all sorts of, she might not have a, uh, trophy shelf full of trophies, but she's still got, you know, that mental trophy shelf of all the, uh, things that she's done, you know, in those, you know, five, six, seven years that she was biking every single day. Yeah, that's incredible. Those 24 hour bike events are no joke. I have never participated in one myself, but I've uh, stumbled across them just by chance. And um, wow, (laughs) talk about intense. I mean, I know some of those rides are like 250 miles, something like that with a ridiculous amount of climbing because, you know, they're usually in the mountains. So kudos to anybody that uh that is oh, going something that they are uh, i would go take photos of them you know because i'm a journalist up in the mountains i'd go take photos maybe i'd interview a cyclist but then i would go back home and sleep and come back out yeah. <laughs> at the end of the race you know after those guys have been biking all night long and and ask them how they're feeling there's one actually called it's called montezuma's revenge um and it's uh the dirt roads that are up on the continental divide. So around Montezuma, Colorado, which is just outside of Keystone. So you go back and forth between Loveland pass and Keystone and Montezuma. And that's one of those rides. Like you were talking about Zach, tons of vertical, they just climb and climb and climb and descend for a little bit and then climb and climb and climb again. And yeah, they, they go through the middle of the night. Um, and there's always some carnage too. Cause I mean, you know, you're, you're descending Rocky mountain roads, Oh yeah. At three in the morning after cycling for 15 hours, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to trip up somewhere and oh, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. No, no. It's, it's, it's wild. Yeah. I, I would imagine. And I've, I've met a few people who've, um, you know, done things like that or, you know, the Leadville 100 race or, yeah. and I, everyone always says it's more of a mental game than anything. Um, like if, if your head's not in it, then you're just going to crack and, um, then you're going to have a bad time and then maybe not finish. So it's all about getting in that headspace, I guess. But I don't see myself ever doing one of those. Um, but, um, you know, that's just that's just not my my cup of tea. But again, kudos to anybody that does. Yeah, I'm right there. Well, well you're big into uh, road cycling, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's it's been one of the big hobbies of mine for a long time now. Actually, I shouldn't say a long time. It's only been about five years, which... I guess is another good example of, you know, how it's never too late to, to start something new. Um, you know, I just kind of picked it up by chance one day because well, one day I was bored. And so <laughs> I, I, I had this really bad bike um, that needed a ton of work. And I was like, eh, I'm just going to take this thing out and see what happens. So I got on my bike path and I ended up going way further than I planned. And uh, I don't know how the bike survived, but um, I, got, <laughs> I got back and I was like, you know what? that was really cool. And it just clicked. 
So, you know, sometimes you don't have to like even be looking for something in order for it to like have a huge impact on your life. It'll just happen organically. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where uh, my peer right now, actually, he has found cycling is his uh, his release, his way of getting out there. He got so frustrated um, changing out a tire, though, because there was something about it. He, he just didn't have the right tools or he was finding the wrong videos online. And so, you know, I helped him out a little bit, uh, got him, um, you know, the, the right tool set up and he was able to finally change that tire. And now I think he's he is stoked to be back out on the bicycle. Um like you said, there's just so much you can learn about, like, like especially something with, with a bike. Man, fall down the rabbit hole of, like, uh, being a bike mechanic. Um, I mean, I've been working on bikes for most of my adult life, and I still do not know everything that I could know about fixing up a bike and getting it, like, you know, in perfect shape. Yeah, I mean, there's so much innovation going on with um, with bikes and all the new models coming out. And one thing that I think is really great is how um, in the last few years, like biking has become more and more adaptive. Um, like at, here at BIAC, we're doing some um, some adaptive cycling events in the recreation department uh, throughout the summer. And um, it's just really great to see the things that people are you know, inventing. Like if you um, have limited mobility, you can still get on a bike. Um, if balance is something that you're um, still trying to work through, then there's there's a bike for you. Um, so it's great to see, you know, these outdoor activities that t- traditionally were only open to people who, um, you know, didn't have uh, a disability um, being more and more accessible. So I think that's only going to continue. And I think it's just incredible to see. Yeah, very cool. How can people get involved with some of those activities? Uh, they can go to our website. Um, in the uh, four adults and four kids section, there's um, a section for um, recreation and classes and workshops. And um, we have all kinds of stuff always being posted on there, um, both virtual and in person. So people won't be limited to participate in um, classes and workshops based on their geographical location. And it's getting updated regularly. You know, there's some camping trips planned. There's some uh, adaptive fishing plans. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff going on this summer. And then the, the park meetups, too, um, that I mentioned earlier, you know, those those will keep happening as well. Great way to form some community and uh, meet fellow survivors. Yeah, fellow survivors. And also, like you said, maybe even uh, find a new uh, hobby, a new interest, new love at the same time. Um, that's too cool. I, and I, I love that, of course, like most things through BIAC, um, you guys make it easy to get involved because you got some experts there to help out. It's not like you're just having to do it on your own. And like, is it mostly free? Uh, depends on the activity. Okay. Um, a lot of the classes and workshops are are free. Some of the recreation um, opportunities there is a, a fee, um, but we try to keep it um, as you know limited as small of a fee as possible, so as to not preclude anyone from participating. Sweet, sweet, yeah. Because sometimes I know, like you know, me myself, that's the biggest barrier to entry. Is you know, I would love to get uh, better at like wakeboarding but I don't have a boat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to go buy a boat or, or, you know, even like, uh, like snowmobiling or motocross riding or any of those things. Like, man, I just don't got the, uh, the capital to invest in something like that. And the time, right. Yeah. You know, one thing that, that I learned pretty quickly, cause when I, when I moved out um, to Colorado, I was like, I am going to start doing everything. I'm going to get into mountain biking. I'm going to get into snowboarding. I'm, I'm a skier, but like, I want to try snowboarding. I'm going to do rock climbing and bouldering and this, that, and the other thing. And then I quickly realized that um, you just can't do it all. You know, there's, there's not enough hours in the day. Yeah. 
I mean, that's that is definitely what it is. You can uh, you know go go fall down so many rabbit holes before you actually uh, find the one that's best for you. But not enough hours in the day. You got to kind of scale it back a little bit because I mean you know like even a quick search on the internet. You find all the lists of like 51 fun things to do in Colorado, 225 things to do in Colorado, <laughs> 100 things to do in Colorado Springs itself. I mean, yeah, just so much stuff to do out there. Um, well, and I mean, one of the nice things about any of this stuff, though, too, is that like uh, as I've talked to um, folks in Biak, but also just like, you know, folks up where I live, uh, travel is one of those big things that people love. Right. And you don't even have to leave the borders of the state to really, you know, find that next, um, cool adventure. Uh, what's on your docket for this summer? Where are you going to be headed? Um, you know, I don't have a lot planned. Um, I'm going to be going to a few weddings, um, two in New York and, uh, one in Michigan. Um, so, so that'll be nice to, you know, see some people I haven't seen in a few years due to COVID and distance. Um, I'll get together in one place to, celebrate each other. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to go up to, uh, Yellowstone in July Sweet. and, uh, Grand Teton as well. And then probably swing up to Montana and see a friend who lives up there. So looking forward to that. I have kind of stopped planning as much as I used to, right. Just because I feel like based on like what I like to do in my hobbies and stuff like that, I don't really need to go far to have a good time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of been just a, like a Colorado summer for the past few years that I've lived here. And um, that's been great. I'm still discovering new places. Yeah. Cool. No, I mean, um, I haven't been to Yellowstone since I was a kid. Um, but I do really remember enjoying like, you know, you, you see the geysers, you see old faithful on video or photos or whatever. Um, it's a whole different thing to be there in person and uh, get the smell of the place. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah I totally agree. Yeah, it's. It, 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 have you ever been? Yeah, I went once back in um, back in 2016. Okay. So when I decided actually that I wanted to to move out um, somewhere west of the Mississippi, uh, my brother and I both quit our jobs at the same time, and oh, we wow. took this uh, big road trip around the whole U.S. and um, it was the first time that I'd ever been west of Iowa. Like I'd been to Iowa a bunch of times to visit family, but um, little did I know there was this whole other world out there and um, just some of the most interesting and beautiful places that I, in the world, in my opinion. Um, so I feel very fortunate to have been able to do that. And um, yeah, we went to a lot of really cool national parks and um, pretty, uh, pretty eye-opening experience. Very cool. And did it with your brother too. Older brother, younger brother? Younger, yeah. I, just, I got one brother. He's a, he's a few years younger than me. Okay, cool. Uh, any of those places really stick out in your mind, like ones that maybe you just stumbled across that you never expected? I think the place that stuck out to me the most was probably um, Glacier National Park in Montana. Mm -hmm. um, it was just... It, so beautiful like I don't even know how else to describe it like it it didn't look real you know it looks like a place that you'd only see in paintings or movies or something like that and um I'm still just like awestruck thinking about it all these years later um and it's uh pretty remote too so it was it was kind of a, a process to get there and um we just camped there for a few days and um you know did some hikes and uh it, it yeah just got better and better I feel like I could have spent the rest of my life there 
there. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you easily could. Yeah, that that is a massive park. It's been a long time since I've been up there too, but I just remember, um, yeah, the scope of everything that's around there. It's just huge. It's it's it goes on and on. Well, it's it reminds me of like um, I'm the opposite of you because uh, I I grew up in Colorado, um, and so you know I spent a lot of summers. Uh, wandering the woods and hanging out at uh, campsites with the family. And so when I got older, my pull was to go out east and see the big cities. You know, ah, see, yeah. See the, greener, yeah. Right? see the cities that I'd never been to. And, and so, like, you know, I think back to my very first trip to New York City, my actually one and only trip to New York City proper. Um, I was that tourist with my eyes on the sky the whole time, tripping over my feet because I wasn't watching where I was going. It was just, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I like, I, I really did enjoy New York City. Now, I will say that one of the first things that we did after wandering the city for a while was went to Central Park because I had to see something green. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, I, I had to get to a tree that wasn't enclosed by uh, metal somehow. But um, I, I still, I really enjoyed that uh, trip to the city. Um, yeah, it, it's interesting, you know, and um, I, I do think about this a lot is, um, you know, being so close to the city, I would go in at least once a year for pretty much my entire life. You know, we did a lot of school trips there. Mm -hmm. And then when I lived in Beacon, you know, I'd go in a couple times a month because it was right off the train. And um, it's something that I always kind of took for granted because it was so accessible to me. You know what I mean? Like I could have it whenever I wanted to. And then I think about how some people it's their life's dream to go to New York City like it's number one on their bucket list they want to be there they want to live there they want to they, they want everything to do with with the city so it, it's a it's kind of humbling in a way you know <laughs> yeah. to, to think about um you know some things that you take for granted you know other people would give their right arm to have well and it's what I've got to remind myself often um living up where I do because you know I live in Breckenridge uh, and it's again one of those places where people they spend their whole life saying, I want to end up in Breckenridge or I want to just even visit. Um, or, you know, there, there's lots of, it's funny, the animosity sometimes between like the quote locals and the quote tourists, you know, mm -hmm. the, the locals, it's, it's all like, ah, I, I, I wish they would disappear already. Um, and, you know, everybody reminds us that, well, you know, they're the reason that we are able to live up here because they, right. they, they pay your bill when you're a waiter or they, uh, you know, they, it, it's just funny the animosity that some people have, but I always remind myself that, you know what, um, maybe this is somebody's very first experience ever in the mountains or first time mm -hmm. ever driving on, well, let's say driving on I-70 in a snowstorm. So I can't, <laughs> I can't, uh, you know, get down on them too much. Uh, it's, it's just, like you said, one of those things where I got to step back um, and, and remind myself to be humble about, uh, you know, I'm lucky that I get to live here year round, that I wake up to this instead of wake up and dream about being here. And if there's so many people all over the world that, you know, are, are wanting to come where you live, it must be a pretty special place. Right. Exactly. I, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, uh, you see the bumper sticker all the time that, you know, my life's better than your vacation. Um, <laughs> it's, it's kind of snarky, but Hey, on occasion, it definitely is true that, uh, yeah, I get to do this, um, year round all day, every day. Although, you know, the May snowstorms on occasion, they do uh, get a little old. Um, especially when, uh, you see, uh, like on Facebook photos of everybody like lounging at a pool or uh, yeah. in, in, enjoying what spring actually is. And I'm like, Oh no, nah, it just snowed like a foot <laughs> on me on May 23rd. 
I was driving back. Um, uh, I was out in uh, Utah over Memorial Day weekend and uh, coming over Vail Pass. Um, I, I look at my friends and the, the trees are all just covered in snow. And I was like, this this wasn't like this a couple of days ago, was it? Like, this is new. And then, yeah, we, we got into Frisco and stopped for gas. And it, it sure enough, it was snowing and um, pretty much all the way to Eisenhower Tunnel. Yeah. So um, just goes to show, you know, um, you can get snow at any time, apparently. Yeah, that is the truth. And, you know, like it's, it's just uh, as much as I grumble about it sometimes, I would actually prefer it. Winter is by far my favorite season. I, I don't know about you, but I, I, I prefer winter, snow. I, I don't mind the sun in the summer, but um, three months of summer is about all I can take. You know, I'm with you. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm a big winter fan myself. A fall, I would have to say, is my all-time favorite season. Um, you know, coming from the Northeast, you know, it's the, the poster child of fall foliage. Yeah. Um, and uh, the pictures never do it justice, but... Um, so, so yeah, fall's, fall's got a special place in my heart. I love fall food. I love fall activities. The weather is perfect, but I'm definitely a winter guy as well. Um, I, I'm not surprised to hear that you're a winter guy because you're a pretty avid snowboarder, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely, um, you know, grew up in North Denver uh, and had dreamed of moving to the Rockies ever since I was a kid, and it was mostly for snow. I mean, you know, I think back, like, of all the things, uh, Star Wars, my favorite Empire Strikes Back because they spend the entire first half of the movie on a snow planet. <laughs> that was all I ever wanted to do was live on Hoth as a kid. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, uh, if I can wake up and hop on a bus and be at the uh, ski resort in, you know, 15 minutes, that's the dream. And so right now, living the dream. I cannot complain. That's for sure. And you've been snowboarding your whole life, right? Uh, close to it. I mean, I started skiing. So my dad was a big skier. I, I really lucked out that, um, dad was, he was huge into skiing. He did some ski racing in college. And then as soon as we could stand, we were on skis. Um, ah, okay. yeah. And even when we, when we couldn't stand, um, I don't really have any memories of this, but I've been told that I was putting a, uh, you know, a kid carrier on dad's backpack, um, as he skied down the hill. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So that still counts as your first run. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I didn't personally quote take it, but I was there. I took it at six months old. So yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, and then, you know, picked up snowboarding like, um, oh, sometime in middle school when it was the cool sport. Um, right. It's, yeah. It's weird because these days it's like skiing's the cool sport. Um, snowboarding's almost a dying breed. I see fewer and fewer snowboarders, or at least fewer new snowboarders every time I'm on the mountain. You know, I've noticed that as well, and um, I'm not entirely sure why that is. You know, we talked a little bit about, you know, like uh, how silly the animosity is between um, locals and tourists. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's some of that going on with skiers and snowboarders. And, um, you know, there's some ski-only resorts still in the country in various places. And personally, you know, as a, as a skier who's never snowboarded, I don't understand. Like, we're all out here for the same reason, to have fun and enjoy the mountains we can coexist. We can be friends. We can help each other and support each other and watch out for each other. You know, just because you're on one piece of plastic and I'm on two doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I know. I agree. It's, um, oh, my coworker, I think he puts, sums it up the best. He's like, 
well, snowboarders, all they do is just scrape down the hill. And I'm like, yeah, well, all skiers do is create giant moguls. So, (laughs) hey, I'm just trying to scrape off the bump that you created for me. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't get the animosity. I actually, I mean, you know, I still know how to ski. I still get out on skis um, because there's some days that skiing is better. Like, um, honest to God, you can go faster on a pair of skis than you can on a snowboard. Um, Oh, really? Oh, yeah, most definitely. Especially, like, it feels like on a snowboard, you can go fast, definitely. But there's usually some point where you feel like the governor's hitting, you know, like, you know, like, like the, the, the upper limit that you've got in a car. You feel like you hit that on snowboard a lot faster than you do on a pair of skis. Uh, if you don't mind me asking, you know, I know that um, a couple of your injuries are as a result of um, snowboarding. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, definitely they are. Um, probably my most serious injury, the one that actually got me involved with BIAC, or, or at least got me down the road to finding BIAC, was a snowboard injury. Um, I was working, I was living uh, near Beaver Creek at the time, working at the mountain on my day off. And we were rolling through the terrain park, um, doing some filming, you know, just kind of messing around, uh, having fun with the terrain park uh, guys. And um, I was not paying attention to what I was doing. And, and and I say you can go faster on skis than you can on a snowboard. You can still go pretty fast on a snowboard. <laughs> um, right. I, I wasn't paying attention to what I was doing. I was messing around with a camera. And all I really remember is maybe looking up and I was headed straight for a stand of trees. Um, and we were bombing down, you know, the very last face of Beaver Creek, pretty, pretty steep uh, pitch. And yeah, I ran straight into a tree. Um, must have gotten an arm up because I broke my arm, also broke a leg. Luckily did not hit my head f- straight on, but it was one of those whiplash injuries, you know, like people always oh, talk about yeah. with um, car accidents. Um, and the doctors, they estimated, you know, I probably hit that tree going from the extent of my injuries, doing 30, 35 miles an hour maybe. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so I don't remember much of anything, you know, definitely lost – two days of my life definitely lost 12 hours of it right after i hit the tree although you know friends that were with me said that you know they they saw me try to stand up try to figure out where i was but i kept falling over and they're like wow what's wrong with him what's wrong with him well that's when they found out that i had a broken leg and there was no way that i could stand up yeah um but yeah, I try to keep a sense of humor about all these things at least i made life easy on ski patrol this all happened within 500 yards of the base of the mountain (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, hey, they didn't really have to try that hard to get to me, which was also good for me because it meant that I wasn't in the backcountry, you know, getting evacuated for two, three hours like I know some people have dealt with. Um, you know, I was able to just got straight on the sled and taken to the ambulance and carted off to, well, luckily one of the best ortho surgeons in the world just happened to be the on-call ER surgeon that day. And so, um, yeah, Dr. Starrett, um, Anytime I can uh, sing praises of that guy, I will because, yeah, he, he was the one that put me back together after a traumatic injury like that, and I haven't had a single issue with my arm or my leg ever since then. It's been... Wow. It's, wow. Very, very lucky by the sound of it. Um, you know, how do you... Um, what, what was your... So physical recovery aside, you know, you eventually got back on the snowboard. Um, were you a little apprehensive to, to get back out there, or could you, could you not wait to get back out? Mix of both. 
the very first day that I got back out, um, I was very anxious, so anxious. You know, I had been doing my PT also. This all happened towards the end of the season. It was like, you know, early April. Um, so the season was pretty much wrapped up at that point. So I had all of off season plus all of summer to PT and get myself back in shape, um, crutching around my apartment complex, just going stir crazy with cabin fever. <laughs> Cause I was like, oh, yeah. I got, I got to get out and I got to do something. I got to do something. Um, so that first time I got on the snowboard, you know, the doctor had cleared me. He said, you're all good to go. Just take it easy. <laughs> right. Um, and that first run, I, I, I got out there early season at a basin and felt like a newbie all over again for one run because I was just tentative, kind of not sure what I could do, what my body could do halfway down the run. I was like, Oh, this is the sport you've been doing forever, man. And as the season went on, I'm not going to lie, Zach. Um, I felt stronger than I ever had on a snowboard. I was doing stuff that I, I, I was doing stuff that I'd never done on a snowboard before. It was wild. Um, Cause I think once I got over that mental barrier of this is how you hurt yourself. And I just let myself, you know, do the sport I was good at. Um, it was, it was mind blowing. Yeah. I, and, and people always ask me like, Oh, you, you must not, uh, snowboard in the trees anymore. You must stay totally away from trees. Now it's still one of my favorite things to do on a powder day is get back in the trees and go. I mean, there's no feeling like it in this world. Uh, the one thing I don't do, is review the footage as I'm snowboarding uh, through the trees. <laughs> I bet, yeah. It's, it's like the nurse said. She was like, I'll bet you. So that's one of my first memories after I started coming back to, you know, those groggy moments that you remember, you know, lights in a hospital or, um, you know, doing the walk up and down some stairs so that they can discharge you and stuff. One of my first memories is a nurse saying, I'll bet you'll never text and drive. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't remember anything about texting and driving. Well, yeah, after a while, I was like, oh, yeah, you're, that's basically what I was doing was texting and driving while I was on a snowboard. Oh, um, yeah, I didn't, yeah. I didn't think about it that way. Right? <laughs> and, and that's why I was like, oh, my God, you're so confusing. There's no way I was in a car. I was in a car for this whole thing. So, yeah, I, I, I was very confused there for a week afterwards about why she was talking about texting and driving. Um, but, yes, I, I was essentially snowboarding and, uh, and texting, snowboarding and reviewing footage. And I will never do that again. No distracted snowboarding. That's for sure. No distracted snowboarding, no. right? No distracted skiing for that matter either. But, um, you know, I'm always so inspired by all these, uh, these survivors that I meet, uh, Biak who they, they try to get back out there. They, you know, they can be a little apprehensive to, you know, do some of the things that gave them joy or that they loved following their injury. What would your advice be to, to somebody with, a a fellow brain injury survivor who's, you know, wanting to get back into doing the things that they love, but uh, doesn't really know where to start. Um, my biggest thing would, I would say, just remind yourself that this is what you love to do. You know, that, that, that sure it might've injured you, you might've gotten hurt. Um, and that wasn't the only time I've been hurt on a snowboard, not even the only time that I've hit my head on a snowboard, which is what makes me the most nervous, you know, is, right, of course. is cracking my head again, doing something that I love real hard. Um, but I would say, you know, just remind yourself first and foremost that you love doing this and that it, the, the joy of it um, probably outweighs the fear of doing it over again. Um, and then also just remind yourself of, uh, you know, 
you don't have to get back into it at the level that you once were. So, you know, I, I know lots of folks um, that I've talked to at BIAC, uh, car accidents. Car accidents are one of those ones that is so scary because it's like lightning. You know, you, you can you can be the safest driver in the world, but you never know what could happen to you from somebody else. And so that I, I really do understand how, you know, people are nervous to get back in a car again um, and do all that. And um, and for them, man, that that advice is a little trickier. But when it comes to, you know, maybe getting injured, doing an activity, you know, snowboarding, skiing, biking, um, any of those things. Yeah, my biggest advice is just you will probably be more disappointed that you gave it up than the than overcoming the fear that uh, to get back out there. And like I said, I was just blown away with I came back and was stronger and faster. And I feel like I've been getting better and better at snowboarding even since then. And I didn't think that I could. You know, I thought mid-20s I had peaked. I was the closest and best I was ever going to be on a snowboard. Well, no, I've just found some different uh, avenues of snowboarding. You know, instead of maybe uh, hitting the train park and the big jumps and the things that I know come with that high risk of head injury, um, I'm having a little bit more fun doing the um, doing the lower risk soul surfer sort of stuff. You know, just getting yeah, out, yeah, yeah, getting out on the board and still loving what I do and knowing that I'm good at it, but um, mitigating the risk a little bit more intelligently than I did. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I think of a lot, too, is, you know, how, um, you know, recovery is, of course, not not a linear process. And, um, you know, some people tend to bounce back after injury than others. And, you know, it's, it can be hard to compare yourself to somebody else sometimes. But, you know, focus on your own journey. And, you know, your journey, it sounds like where you couldn't wait to get back on that board and you did and now you're better. But, you know, if it's taking you a little while and you're still on the green runs after a couple seasons, at least you're still doing what you love. And that's what matters. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Yeah, do, do you have any advice for folks, you know, that um might be a little tentative to get back out there or um still wondering if they should? Cuz I think that's another one of the questions is like, well, should I really do this thing that injured me? I think that's a great question and definitely something that everybody should take into consideration. Um, you know, of course, consult with your um your doctors, your your team in that sense and um, you know, help them make a plan for you and what's going to help you to be most successful. And then, of course, we talked about earlier with all the new adaptive options for um, for outdoor recreation. There's some great adaptive skiing and snowboarding, for example. Uh, BIAC does adaptive skiing and snowboarding during the season. Um, you know, find find one of those um, organizations, one of these communities that um, specializes in that. And, um, you know, even if you're a little apprehensive, these people are trained to help you. Uh, they're there to make sure that you have a good time, and that you stay safe and um, you're in good hands. Great advice. Yeah. And a little shout out to, you know, just one of our places here in my neck of the woods, uh, Breckenridge Outdoor Education Center, uh, BOEC. They do a lot of good work with adaptive programs and getting people out on, uh, you know, with um, certified trainers, people that can actually help you. And it's not just skiing and snowboarding. Um, you know, they've, they've got summer activities, they've got water activities, all sorts of cool stuff. Um so yeah, I, I, I mean, Zach, I, I'm a lot like you. I, I find my, um, I find my happy place, my medication in the outdoors, and so I can't imagine giving up uh, any of these activities simply because there's a threat of injury. I'm just a little smarter, maybe a little more, um, uh, yeah, um, not tentative. I'm not even more tentative. I, I would just say, you know, I, I mitigate the risk a little bit more than I ever did when I was young and reckless. Of course. Yeah, of course. And, you know, just because you're not, you know, 
flying down these uh, double black diamonds anymore, you know, it doesn't mean that you still can't have a great day in the mountains. And, um, you know, I, I totally agree with you that, you know, like nature and outside that's medication. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful to live in a place where, you know, we have so many beautiful, wonderful outdoor spaces to go to and enjoy. And um, it's, it's great to see them becoming more and more accessible. Um, I've met some really incredible people doing some awesome advocacy for better accessibility in um, open spaces and uh, state parks, national parks. So really excited to see what's to come in the next few years. You know, if people are curious about um, peer support systems like peer mentorship and support groups uh, to contact me, uh, my contact information is on uh, Brain Injury Alliance's website. You can call, text, or email me. We're, I'm, I'm found in the uh, About Us section, who we are. And uh, you can find myself there listening with all the other awesome BX staff. And who knows, when you're looking for me, maybe you'll find another program that you think would be beneficial for you as well. If you have a story of survival or know someone who does, we want to hear from you. Reach out to Zach or any of the BX professionals, and they will put you in touch with me. Again, Phil Lindemann, your host here on TBI, talking brain injury from Brain Injury Alliance, Colorado.